Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Two Journeys, subtitled Father and Son Resting Meaning and Hope Through Suffering, Forgiveness, and Prayer. And joining me from the Northeast up near Boston, Massachusetts, is author Dr. Daniel C. Nelson. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure to visit with you. This book is a personal journey, uh, along with the story of your son's illness and subsequent uh, passing. Share with my listeners how this became a passion for you to share this story and this journey. Well, it started out uh, with with me becoming aware of my son's condition. He, uh, when when I learned of it, he was diagnosed with stage four melanoma, and. Uh, he did his uh, subsequent uh, chemotherapy at Mass General Hospital and his hospice stay here at my home in uh, Dover, Massachusetts. And I was already a board-certified chaplain, and uh, it drew me into hospice chaplaincy in a big way. Mm. But just to experience my own son going through the final weeks of his life and the spiritual aspect that really came to the forefront uh, really compelled me to share this with as many people who who I thought could possibly benefit from it. My understanding is your son had a, a, a positive attitude when he was diagnosed. Is that something that uh, remained throughout his illness? Yes, uh, impressively so. He, he was a type of guy that... Uh, accepted the hand that he had been dealt and uh, one of his famous lines to his mother and his four siblings and myself was uh, I'll be okay don't worry about it I'm, I'm gonna be okay just uh, continue on with what you're doing as best you can very very just very impressive uh, his attitude towards uh, uh, the hand that he was dealt and hence the reason for sharing his story I'm guessing and he was in his early 20s no he's actually t- uh, 29 29. Okay. Yes. Later than that. You yes. you mentioned that you are a chaplain. Now, this is your second career, if I understand your history. That's correct. And your first career was what? I was a corporate executive. I was uh, had a very high-level job, and I uh, took an early retirement uh, because I wanted to pursue this particular chapter of my life. Uh, throughout my life, I was always a very spiritual person, very close to God. Uh, prayer was a big part of my life, and uh, throughout my corporate career, um, prayer was uh, a big part of my daily routine. And, and uh, I just came to the point where I said, uh, it's time to say goodbye to that chapter of my life and move on to something that I feel very passionate about. So I uh, left and embarked on um, uh, what I do now. I went back to Boston College and picked up uh, three graduate degrees in theology and uh, picked up a doctorate in ministry. Um, became a permanent deacon in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and I was able to uh, give back in my own way what I wanted to give back through my lifetime experiences as an executive, a father, a husband, a worker in my my Catholic faith. It just helped me to communicate that to uh, as many people that uh, who could be uh, 
listening or in need of someone with my background. Would you explain for for me and for my listeners, uh, generally we and when we're thinking of the the Catholic faith or the Catholic uh, denomination, the uh, the uh, the idea of having children and a family is a little bit unusual. You have a doctorate and a chaplaincy degree. Yep. Is that something that's common in the church? No, it's not. It's um, There's a difference. Uh, I'm ordained, so a deacon in the Catholic Church is an ordained minister, but we marry. Hmm. Yeah, a priest uh, in the Catholic Church does not marry. They, uh, they uh, accept celibacy. Uh, so deacons, uh, we do uh, things such as baptisms and funerals and weddings and preach and uh, catechize, evangelize, things of that nature. But a couple of other things that a priest does, like hear confessions and change the bread and wine to the body and blood of Jesus Christ, is obviously something that a deacon does not do. It's something that only a priest does. Very That's interesting. A big difference. Very interesting. 164 pages. How long did it take you uh, from the time of your son's passing to decide to write and tell his story? And how long did it take to complete well, I was actually just finishing my third graduate degree in theology at Boston College uh, when he was dying. And it was during that time that I said, you know, uh, uh, Chris's story, my son's name was Christopher, his story is so compelling that I think I'm going to pursue a doctorate and uh, my uh, focus my thesis on uh, the sharing of the experience of his spiritual journey combined with mine. Uh, I think it was something that uh, I felt compelled to share with people who perhaps are experiencing the same type of unfortunate circumstances. So it took me about, um, I'm going to say, uh, three, years three years to complete the whole thing. The people who will read your book, the listeners and those who will pick it up, what will they find in its pages? Will it simply be a, a personal story? Will it be something they can, they can apply to their own life? I think it's a combination of things. There's a bit of, uh, with each chapter, I, I give uh, more of an academic grounding uh, or a theological grounding uh, from which I would share personal narratives and, and personal stories of my son. So it's a combination of the three. And, and, and when they're brought together, uh, it helps people understand, um, at least from my point of view, uh, uh, sacred scripture a little bit better, some of the mysteries of life. And it helps people find uh, meaning and purpose through suffering and forgiveness and prayer. You have also penned in your first chapter, and you say this, Now as my faith journey continues to unfold, I have come to the realization that my meaning-making process is intimately and inseparably inseparably connected to Christian hope. Hope is a, a major factor of your story. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, hope is not uh, used in the way that we use it in our normal conversation, like I, I hope the Boston Red Sox win the World Series. Right. Uh, you know, Christian hope is really about trusting in the promises of God, trusting such that we live our life in a particular way. And uh, we hope, in, from that perspective, the promises being uh, the eventual eternal life and the fullness of God's love for all of eternity. Absolutely a great message. You uh, have uh, completed this, and are you getting any responses? Have you been able to share this with maybe a few key people and uh, get some get some feedback? 
Oh, absolutely. I, uh, in addition to my family members and close friends, uh, I have uh, distributed uh, copies of the book to people who are who were in the process of experiencing loss of a loved one, or people who were struggling with their faith, or people who were struggling with finding meaning and purpose in life. And uh, I've gotten extremely high marks on it. Beautiful. For lack of a better phrase. <laughs> well, I, I think that would work. Uh, I'm looking through the chapters, and, and you have uh, certainly uh, balanced it with uh, Christian insight and scriptures, along with the narrative of what took place and how it took place. You, in your retrospect, in looking back at the story and, and, and the journey that you were on, you call it two journeys. Yours, obviously, is uh, one that was toward faith and uh, writing this book. Your son's, was it also just the spiritual journey, or were there other things that he imparted to the people who were around him? Yeah, I think what what I was trying to communicate there were some of his own struggles, uh, you know, before he got sick. Uh, just the struggles that any uh, young male in America goes through, peer pressure or various types of um, disappointments or failures that, that he experienced and how he dealt with it leading up, of course, to his death. But uh, it's a combination of, uh, you know, our physical life in this temporary physical world with our spiritual insights. And the two of those together, how he used and and I used as well, uh, those two main pillars to create uh, significant meaning and purpose in our lives. How would you describe your writing style? Is it uh, informative, uh, narrative? Uh, what would be the best way to describe it? I think it's a combination of both of those. There's a little bit of each, and I think it was done that uh, on purpose. Uh, it was I wanted to create some grounding uh, through which uh, the reader would understand where where I'm headed, and then I would use personal narratives uh, in order to bring alive uh, my description of a particular chapter. Your book also could be used as a, a help book for those who are in a similar ministry, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think it's uh, interdenominational, it's interfaith. It really speaks to our, our human um, condition uh, that applies to all faiths. It's something that uh, speaks to the struggle of making it through life uh, with authentic meaning and purpose, uh, making it through life uh, where we become fully human, who we, be, we become who God created us to be, beings in his own image and likeness. And it's a struggle to find that, and it's a struggle to uh, discover it and embrace it and, and live on with it. Would that be the underlying message and hope that you have, uh, have uh, shared in your book? It would be, Jay. I mean, uh, um, it really didn't occur to me as I was writing it, but uh, in hindsight, uh, yes, that is uh, probably right up there with my initial uh, intent of uh, sharing our story to help people uh, navigate their way to their own uh, particular uh, uh, problem or trial or tribulation that they were dealing with. This is your first attempt or first book that has been completed. Is there a possibility of a follow-up to this narrative? Oh, absolutely. It's it's really more about uh, just uh, as my first book. Uh, let's see, um, what did I do uh, right? What did I do wrong? What can I learn? And how can I make my next venture even better? Beautifully done. The title of the book again is Two Journeys." 
Father and Son Resting Meaning and Hope Through Suffering, Forgiveness, and Prayer. And my guest has been Dr. Daniel C. Nelson. Dr. Nelson, there are many listeners who will want to get a copy of this and learn from the experience that you share. How do they do so? Well, I think the two uh, main sources would be Amazon.com. Uh, that's probably the, the easiest way. That's where I get a lot of my books. And, of course, exlibris.com. Exlibris.com. And they can also do a search under your name, Daniel C. Nelson, and uh, locate this book and hopefully books in the future. We hope to hear from you again and uh, look forward to hearing about any future journeys and future journey insights that you might want to share. For sure, Jay. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, LaBellaVitaCosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com. back to Ex Libris. The title of the book, Deadly Distrust. And the author is Mary Schaller, and she joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Mary. Hello. Great to have you with us, Mary, to talk about your recent book. A sequel is in the making. We'll talk about that a little later. But first of all, Deadly Distrust. Uh, this is a pretty provocative novel. It's got all kinds of things in it. Of course, it has a murder and also has a very unique kind of weapon to murder someone. <laughs> yes, deadly mushrooms. And that comes because of your knowledge of them. Yes, my father was an amateur mycologist and, and he taught me a lot about mushrooms. Um, over the years, we 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 ventured all over uh, Marin County looking for them, and uh, the one I use is Amanita orcriata, which is a very deadly mushroom, and it grows prolifically in our um, our area. And uh, it looks uh, to the ordinary person like uh, one of the mushrooms in the grocery store. So you have to be careful, and you don't even want to touch them. You, you have to be careful you don't get their spores on your hands or um, because you could poison yourself very easily with just a few spores that you can't even see. Another part of your plot, young women basically taken advantage of by powerful men. That's another yes, one of yes. your strong themes in your novel. 
yes and and they they uh, the one character who who uh, unfortunately um gets involved is um a vivacious redhead with um very uh, wonderful curls on her hair and she she has a voluptuous figure and she just loves to flirt with men and um she gets involved with a doctor and uh, and drugs and the drugs are the undoing of her unfortunately well you have some very strong feelings about relationships between doctors and nurses and doctors and other medical staff uh, but before we get into those details and also learn about the characters tell us a little bit about you your background and really why you wrote the book i was really upset when i read about uh rapes of women and how difficult it is to uh, defend oneself against a rapist. And also, like I've worked in the medical field, you know, there's a lot of doctors who are on drugs and they really cause a lot of problems to nurses and and, uh, healthcare people. And, um, um, uh, and, and back to women, um, there, I don't know if you've seen these statistics, but um, uh, one woman in five is abused physically in her lifetime, and and it's ironic that um, cats and dogs have the more protection than women. And um, I wanted to uh, emphasize this um, because I think uh, that um, women's uh, women need more protection um, in our society. Well, we all know about all the news about date rape and, and as you s- just mentioned, about how women can easily get themselves into situations that they wish they hadn't and, of course, end up uh, having to uh, deal with a rapist which is beyond comprehension to think about what a person would go through to try to defend themselves in that situation. But that's the way your book opens, uh, with this uh, very aggressive opening to your story. Yeah, yeah. The, the, that, that was uh, uh, her estranged husband who breaks in, in a way, to her apartment, uh, grabs her and tries to, uh, when she resists him, uh, tries to strangle her. I, I know of uh, people that that's happened to, uh, unfortunately, and um, it's it's a terrible situation when when uh, women get abused. It's just really heartrending, and and um, I I wanted uh, the world to understand that this is going on, you know, um, it, for real, not just in fiction. Your story starts back in September 1979 in San Francisco. Why that time and why San Francisco? Well, I, I love San Francisco. I grew up in this area, and um, I, I chose uh, uh, 1979 because it was a time uh, just before the AIDS epidemic and morals were very loose. San Francisco has wonderful 
neighborhoods like Seacliff and and uh, China Beach. I, I don't know if you know San Francisco at all, uh, but it's a beautiful uh, city with high cliffs that go down to interesting beaches. Um, most tourists never see them, but to a San Franciscan, those are, are real places and and um, frequented by a lot of San Franciscans. It's a p- favorite place for runners and climbers and all sorts of people. So the reader is going to experience San Francisco. Yes, because they're, they're all over San Francisco. <laughs> but we also venture into Marin County, uh, which is just across the Golden Gate Bridge, and um, to Amador County, which is up in the uh, foothills of the Sierra. And um, I, I chose uh, those areas, one for mushrooms and the other for um, it's just a good place for lovers to have privacy. Well, let's talk about some of the characters. Now, we open up with Gina and Gary. Are they main characters? Um, yes. Gina Gina is um, uh, estranged from her husband, uh, who uh, won't give her a divorce. And he she is attending a nursing school um, to support herself uh, a- after she gets a divorce. And... Um, She's going to a local university, and um, she's uh, voluptuous and sensitive and and uh, lighthearted uh, with um, red hair and, and um, brown eyes. And her best friend is Ellie, and uh, or Eleanor, and um, she's also divorced, and they're roommates. Um, and Ellie is a composed, um, sophisticated, and intelligent woman with um, ability to gracefully take charge of situations. She has two sons, and her former marriage was to a, a University of California professor of chemistry. The uh, teenage uh, sons live with their father in Berkeley. And then there's Gary. Um, Gary Williams is the former or estranged husband of Gina, and uh, he's a building contractor who is financially strapped and turns to drugs um, to market. Um, they have no children, and he is um, uh, he's he's kind of a rough and tumble fella, and um, and um, he's sort of uh, the um, antithesis of, of, of the uh, suave and, and, and uh, uh, handsome uh, Alan Pace, who's an MD, uh, cardiologist, who, who hires Gina to work for him and seduces her. And he has a habit of, of, uh, of, uh, sort of emotionally being cruel to women. His wife uh, is Annette, who is another character, and she is a very wealthy socialite in San Francisco, and they live in um, Seacliff, uh, which is a fashionable uh, place to live in San Francisco. And um, um, they they have this 
uh, tug-of-war sort of marriage uh, where uh, she wants him at home and he wants to be philandering. And um, and then there's Mark Jacobs, um, who's a, a professor of mycology, and he is a transvestite, and he uses his transvestite um, persona to um, seduce um, people, both men and women, and um, he um, he was really fun to write about because um, there's so many things that you can do with costuming and and um, all that. Now, with this serious, serious subject matter, you also have been able to, as you put it, there is chuckling humor with irony. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I did that with Mark Jacobs. Um, he, he's, just, um, he's just kind of fun to work with. Um, at, what, at one point, he, he um, wears his, his, um, his makeup and all that, and he d- dresses like um, um, a famous actress, and he goes to a, a costume party where the, there's a prize for the best costume. And um, this um, doctor, who's, who's uh, such a, um, a flirt, um, uh, uh, flirts with him and is so surprised when he finds out he's really a man. And and um, it, it, it's just uh, Mark gets such a laugh out of it because uh, he he kind of pulled one over this man's eyes. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit before we finish talking about deadly distrust. Tell us about the sequel a little bit. Um, this the sequel will uh, it also involves the. Um, character uh, that I've kept alive. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, Ellie. Ellie is the main character in it, and um, Todd Markham, who is the um, uh, detective, and um, and uh, she um, inherits uh, a um, sizable fortune and. Um, there's a lot of corruption that's gone on because um, no one was at the helm of this inheritance, and um, and the corruptors or the people that are doing the corruption <laughs> are are um, not happy that she wants to take charge, and uh, and so the, he uh, they try to kill her. Or, or to at least scare her out of coming to the board meetings um, and uh, scare her enough so she doesn't have a chance to have a, a, a audit of, of what's going on. And what is the title of the sequel? It's a Long Acre, uh, long acre uh, Disorder, and um, Long Acre is the family uh, uh, that has the wealth that she's inheriting. Uh, the property from and um, anyway 
Well, Mary, Mary, it's only halfway done. So halfway done. <laughs> I've got a way to go. Well, that's uh, halfway closer to having it done. So good for you. Good for everyone that will enjoy your first book, Deadly Distrust, and then look forward to the sequel, Mary Schaller. And Mary, tell us what's the best way to get your book. Well, it's on Amazon. And um, it's uh, also on Borders, and you can buy it directly from the publisher, um, Ex Libris. And um, I have uh, some book uh, bookstores in in, in uh, where I live in, in in Northern California that are also carrying it, um, uh, Copperfields, and um, and. Um, uh, I understand they're they're marketing it also um, in bookstores in other cities too, but um, since I'm I, I'm not traveling to those cities, I don't see that. Right. Well, anyone can walk into a retail bookstore or go online and order Deadly Distrust. Mary, thank you so much for joining us on Ex Libris on Air. Thank you. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Back to Ex Libris. Hello and welcome to Toganet Radio's Author Voices on Air. My name is Deb Han and it's a pleasure to be with you again this afternoon. So you might be familiar with the notion of keeping a diary or keeping a journal or something along those lines. Well today I want to introduce you to a beautiful woman by the name of Merowyn and she has kept a journal of poems and um, so Merowyn how are you on this fine day? I'm well thank you Deb. Wonderful thank you for joining me I really appreciate it and congratulations and thank you for sharing your your book book of poems and you've called it Poems of a Divorcee so that in and of itself tells us a story about you know what's motivated some of some of your poetry some of your beautiful poetry I have to say oh I'm glad you think so right I really do (laughs) sorry what was that lovely to talk to you oh thank you all right so so what inspired you to um to choose poetry as a way to capture your your thoughts and emotions, you know, post or even during during your life. Well, um, it's perhaps the most succinct way of writing, and um, 
I wouldn't call myself uh, a poet so much as a prose writer. Um, and um, they were just thoughts and feelings. I feel that I used as therapy to uh, cope with my new single life with two small children. Yeah. And, and tell me, because um, you started writing these poems back in the 70s, right? So it was 1974, 75, something like that when you started writing these poems. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I was only about 40, not quite 41. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do the maths, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, why now? What what uh, what saw you publish your poems now? Why did you decide to do that? Mm. <laughs> That's a hard one because, um, well, I just had that collection there and in the cupboard, and I felt as if I'd like my sons really to know a little bit more about me, other than just a, a mother. <laughs> Or a, a ex-wife. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I felt as if my my boys have don't really know me, uh, my inner self, who I really am inwardly. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a really beautiful intention. And um, and it's, what I think is really interesting, particularly given that these these are poems, like you say, poems of a divorcee. Now. What is beautiful about your poetry is that um, they're not bitter. Like you're not you're not sharing bitter, and there's no I don't know that it, it doesn't come across as nasty or harsh. Like you really you're just really sharing the experience, and you have a oh, yes. beautiful <laughs> eloquence in your writing. I think that um, it was definitely um, a way of expressing my grief. Mm. Uh, which lasted quite a long time. I was quite cross with myself, actually. I didn't get over it quicker. Um, but, um, um, and then, of course, I wanted to celebrate that I was beginning to feel happier again and, um, and that there was a lot to, um, to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of myself that I hadn't really, um, recognized so to speak yeah I understand and it's interesting in um, where, where you, you you speak about the main characters in, in, in your poem or the main character the driving character of your poem and you you refer to Eros as being the main the main character the main thread and of course you know Eros being the is it the god of love is that is that how we term yeah. Eros yeah and I that's, think that's, that's right I mean I'm the main character really but I guess if you wanted another character you have to say it was Eros Eros yeah <laughs> so yeah like you say it it is you it, they are your it's your poetry but it's 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 the love that comes through you and 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 from you that shows up in in your in your poetry um so <clears throat> tell me do you have a favorite poem what what's your favorite poem in 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 the mix that that you that you share I think that fire spark is because I saw things in retrospect um I don't know what um Further, I could have done to um, to love my ex-husband, but um, I saw things in retrospect that he had had a, a very um, tough early life, mm. and I think that's why I had hoped my boys would have a happier um, 
more fulfilled life, of course, when I got around to having when we got around to having children. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, and of course, I dreaded that the same sort of thing would happen to my sons uh, because of the divorce. Yeah. And I don't think that children are as res- resilient as people tend to think. I think that they just have to be. They're forced to be. They can be very perceptive. Yeah. And, uh, but um, as for resilience, I don't, I don't believe that they are as resilient as we, we think. Uh, mm. We're all very sensitive about our parentage, I think. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's true, you know, and so, um, that's why so many people end up in therapy in their 30s and their 40s, <laughs> you know, dealing with the hurts from, the, from their childhood and all of that kind of thing. And I, it, I don't mean to make light of that, but, you know, that's in essence what we're talking about there but it's interesting when I um, the, the the fire spark poem and this is what I'm talking about when I say the, this th- there's just no bitterness in your in your poetry that is a that that poem is such... I'm very glad to hear that <laughs> but, but it's true and it's, just, it's a beautiful example of this eros piece that we're talking about because you do you do reflect very compassionately on on your husband's life then or your ex-husband's life there and you, mm-hmm. you're talking about his childhood and and you know how how that's reflected in his adult years and 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 so on so i think that's really beautiful very very powerful it's a, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. place to be able to write from Right. Well, I don't know whether they're relevant, the poems are relevant to today. It's a different um, outlook that women have on society and marriage. But um, it seems that uh, there's still a lot of violence against women. Mm. And um, it's it's, um, gathering momentum even here in the 21st century. And so perhaps even though they might seem a little bit outdated, I think, they might be quite relevant, and I hope that people might be interested in my in my little effort. Yeah. Well, you know, they they say that emotion is one of those common and uniting languages. You know, we all feel the same pains and so on. So, and I think that's what your poetry reflects very beautifully. I know I have a a, a favourite, um, and it's it's the the poem you called Capture. You've titled right. Capture. Which uh-huh. really talks about your your son's or your youngest son's first day at school. Yes, that's yeah. right. And mm-hmm. I I love the innocence it's a very of that. Very sad day, really. And I'm smiling away in the photograph, but really inside I'm very very depressed. Yeah. And I'm happy. Mm. But, and uh, again, it it just it captures that beautifully in in, in the poetry. So you know you, you talk so much about you know the capture is what you're exuding to the world. And the, the capture is what's what's tearing you apart on the inside. So, and I think, you know, when I talk about that universal pain that we can all relate to, I mean, I think that's something that so many people can relate to, and women can relate to, and probably men as well, for that matter. You know, that can actually recognise that we we do go through life with this mask, you know, portraying a certain outlook. When yeah. in, in in real life, it's just, you know internally you're really like if you only knew how I feel right now. And the other thing that is beautiful about that poem is that, that throughout your book there's a number of pictures and there is a picture that reflects that um, that poem in the book as well. So it's right. it's perfect, absolutely perfect. I was so delighted to see that. Oh well, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that you enjoy it, and I um, so much, Deb. And I I really hope that. 
that it might appeal to some men because I think that we overemphasize rationality and that emotion, uh, our emotions should be developed. They're very absolutely necessary in relationships. Um, yeah. Without um, genuine emotion and empathy with each other, our relationships not they're not our relationships and family life are just not going to work. Yeah, and there are a lot of divorces going on these days still. Very true. Very true. But all the therapy that we could um, engage if we were serious about our relationships. That is, anyway, perhaps I'm a very serious person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just noticing here. There's a a, a particular passage in your book where um, you actually refer to the Old Testament. Um, oh, yes. Well, I, I'm amazed that, um, yes, um, it's not a religious book. I get a little bit mm. um, uptight about the idea, but, but I can see how my early indoctrination comes through quite quite um, strongly in places. Um my vocabulary it quite amazed myself actually as I was reading through some the other night and um, yes uh, we, we talk about peace and we're supposed to be also oh, that's another thing the the, the, um, the wars that are going on in the world and um, I don't think young people can cope with that yeah well, really, we expect them to, but they must think, what, what a funny world we've come into. We talk about peace, but we're always warring. And Anyway, the captain reads the Old Testament, <laughs> where the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and there is to be no hurting or destroying. Well, it does sound a little bit idealistic, I suppose, but I feel deeply, quite deeply about war, too. Yeah. And what a beautiful thing to aspire to, and and you know I think that is actually as an as an intention is reflected throughout your poetry. Um, I think you know in so many ways, certainly from what I read of of, of your poetry, it is about having you know, coming from that place of compassion, acknowledging how you feel um, at at the various times throughout that journey. You know between you know the mid seventies and what is it, the early 2000s thereabouts? Is is, is that... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Cold War time. <laughs> well, the world was a bit anxious at the time. A bit go. more anxious than we are now. Yeah. Um, Interesting, anyway. isn't it, really, when you reflect, when you put it in, in, the, in that terms? Yeah. It's beautiful people. I encourage you to get on to www.poemsofadivorcee.com and you can access... Um, a copy of the book from there or you can go into Amazon and do a search for poems of a, of a divorcee and, and get a copy of uh, of this book um, via via Amazon I encourage it as a it can be a beautiful gift for anybody you know going through a uh, you know a tough time emotionally and or really just someone that, that you, you care about or even for yourself just to have a, a, a beautiful coffee table book of poetry that you can pick up at any time open a page and really be blessed with the words that rise up to greet you so Merowyn thank you so much for sharing your body of work because it is a lifetime of work and um, and, and your poetry is genuinely beautiful thank you Thank you, Deb. It's a pleasure. And I'm so glad that you find them um, 
and thralling or beautiful. Um, I'm very pleased about that. Thank you so much, Deb. It's been very lovely to talk to you. Thank Bye. you. Okay. Thank you. Beautiful people, been wonderful to be with you again this afternoon. My name is Deb Hand and this has been TogiNet Radio's Author Voices on Air. Until next time, bye for now. Join Stim next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.